one and four with a loss against the Cincinnati Bengals in a game that I feel like Cardinals fans entering in the game, it felt like this was an opportunity for the team. The Bengals came in with the same record, had looked miserable, scoring maybe 10 to 12 points a game on offense. And they explode. Everyone can call it now maybe that the Cardinals are that get-right team that the Bengals needed to have, unfortunately. Here to talk about it with me, it's Marcos Labrada at Pancake Soul. And Marcos, this is the week where you didn't watch the Cardinals game because the last time that you watched it afterwards, they won. Unfortunately, not the same this time. Cardinals are a one-win pony so far five games into the season. Actually, I lied. I watched uh I watched parts of it. I couldn't help myself. Um oh, I mean no. there's the it's only because they were competitive at some point, so I thought maybe I should be fine if I watch them and then they started losing and I was like, Okay, well I if they're if they're already behind, might as well just keep watching it at that point. And <clears throat> it's really interesting because I was around the stadium. I was uh in the middle of doing Uber, so I had it on the whenever like I'm driving around, it just goes into like listen mode and stuff. So I was like stuck in traffic because it decided to close the freeway right by the 101. And I, I tweeted about this and I, and I was just stuck in traffic for that whole time. So I was like, you know, I might as well just watch the game because we're not even moving. It took me an hour to get past like three miles because, you know, everybody's out into the residential streets. But regardless of the fact, I, I guess I watched it. You guys can blame me for it if you guys want to. But it is a irony that we are not only the get right game as usual but like jamar chase goes and breaks the record of like the Bengals record for receptions and has 193 yards cat like uh yards catching so yeah it's just of course it is yeah i know after the game jamar chase actually tweets out uh, a interesting tweet where he talks about instead just post a single kind of i guess you can say maybe it's two words but he just says that 7 11 which, of mm-hmm. course, is just going to mean always open because they're open 24-7. And so that was the entire thing that he was trying to say. It was like, hey, just throw the ball to me. I'm always open. I think, honestly, this game, you can say it was about Jamar Chase. You can talk a lot about what he did. To me, this was more a game because the Cardinals have been able to effectively make some plays on defense. They haven't been great on defense. But what this game, to me, was about ultimately – was Joe Burrow actually being healthier than we have seen him in weeks? At this point, uh, the game we're watching over here, and this is just a clip at least from early on in the first quarter, you're able to at least see how with Joe, they've got a guy in motion, Cardinals are pulling it down here. They're able to get pressure on Joe Burrow. And what you'll see at least really quickly is that they're able to get a pass rush in his face. He's able to move off of his foot. He's able to find the open man, and there's the touchdown. That was the point when I saw Joe be able to move. I went, uh-oh, because we had not seen him be that mobile. Previously, he'd been taking sacks. If you had blitzed him where there was pressure that was there in his face, he was hitting his check down, man. The ball was getting out of his hands quick. He wasn't pushing it downfield. And instead, you see a play like this, and you realize, okay, like this looks like vintage, classic Joe Burrow, not the Joe Burrow we've seen so far in 2023. And that was the point where it wasn't over for me at that point. But it made me feel very, very, very weak about the Cardinals' chances in this game if they were going to be getting a great performance from Joe Burrow, like the Joe Burrow of old. And as we saw in the first opening drive, too much time, he's able to make a move in the pocket and get out of trouble. And he was able to do that all day against the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, the coverage really let let them down on that part because we were able to at least flush them out of the pocket with that pressure by the front four. But on the backside, especially when you're in like in a condensed <clears throat> when it's more condensed in the end zone and they're like about five yards away from the 
from the goal line, it, it like you know the windows become way less. Like they they're smaller, and he threw that in between two defenders that just couldn't close in on Jamar Chase. Obviously, we know that he's a very talented wide receiver. He was the first wide receiver taken in his draft, and I <laughs> like I mentioned to uh, Blake that was the guy that I was like praying that somehow we could pull off and and uh, like you know try to like at least draft or whatnot. He's the guy that goes to his quarterback and. You know, beautiful things happen. Yeah, no, and that was something I think that all day you can talk about, at least with how the defense was able to do a pretty effective job. There were sacks that we were able to at least see on a few stunts. Um, there was ultimately, in a lot of different ways, it felt like with the loss of Jalen Thompson early on in the game, where the Cardinals shifted, made a huge difference in the game. There were times that it looked like Marco Wilson was just giving up too much space to Jamar Chase, almost thinking of the speed too much. And we ended up seeing some big plays that were made because someone either thought they had safety help over the top or they were unfortunately unable to, um, you know, be able to get enough pressure on Joe Burrow, I think was one of the biggest parts of that game too. When I watched back on the tape, they really weren't able to get pressure unless they were blitzing. Now, they did have some very constructive blitzes that they were able to pull off, which is something I did want to at least showcase. Uh, the Cardinals early on, this is the first sack for Dante Stills. Uh, they have the Bengals at least in a situation where they've got at least most of the players on the right, one man over here under the right side of the field. They've got everyone lined up on the line of scrimmage. So it looks like it's kind of, you got a man coverage, man coverage, you got a safety. So you got like either it's a cover three type of coverage with the guys playing more of a zone, uh, because they're not lined up on the man, so you're probably looking at more of that cover three. Uh, and then the Cardinals, at least with Dante Stills, are able to pull a stunt that is not picked up at all yep. by the Bengals. And this is something we'll see at least on the replay, but it's the first sack, sixth round pick, being able to make plays. It's something that's encouraging. You can see at least this is similar to what Vance Joseph in the past had done and part of why he was able to bring up a lot of sacks and pressure with the Cardinals. You got Dante Stills right here. You've got the center here snapping the ball. I'm not sure what the center is exactly seeing as far as the protection, because when the ball gets snapped, you can see here as far as where they both go after number seven here up in the middle. And so as a result, the left guard here is looking at stills. He's rushing this way. He then fakes, goes around the other side. The center goes after him. This is a spot where normally if you're the left guard, you would probably, once you see him kind of start to twist around, now you can see clearly, he can't get through this player. That's part of how a stunt is designed is to take up the space of two guys. What you'd want to see, at least in that regard, is probably be able to at least see some form of a movement or at least try to push the player back into the other guy so you can at least find a way to cut off the stunt. The running back, you can see, picks up the protection or the other protection here. And it's just kind of a one of those moments where, and a Bengals fan even said they've struggled with picking up stunts like this. You can't throw it at a team all day. But it's just it's a not just a well-designed type of area, but you're able to at least see that the uh, Joe Burrow standing in the pocket, you got a wide open space. You can see at least that these two guys are creating a gap for him to run through. And he's able to get a free run at the quarterback. And before you know it, Joe just goes down. Uh, really fun to be able to see the fact that, you know, it's not like this is a defense that is like the Broncos right now, where you're like unable to stop Zach Wilson. We're seeing that they can get pressure in these situations, but they're having to blitz. So you can see here they're bringing one, two, three, four, five guys. That means that they're only being able to drop a 
a total of six guys back in coverage. You got kind of a bail technique here, and you can see it kind of goes into an underneath type of cover too, where you're taking away the underneath routes, and you're also keeping eyes on Joe Burrow, get in the passing lanes to see about a pick. And they cover it super well with Jamar Chase over the side. By the time that he would even be close to open, you're already going down. Great job, I think, by what we're seeing some of Nick Rallis be able to do as far as manufacturing pressure. The problem is I think that they're having to manufacture pressure too much, Marcos. The, the Cardinals are not able to get pressure with just four guys. And so unless it's Dennis Gardeck able to get by and get a sack as your best pass rusher, that's something I think that's missing from this team. And it really came up in the second half when the Bengals were effectively able to run the ball up on Arizona and then take some deep shots Arizona wasn't able to get pressure um, at the cost of being able to have fewer guys in coverage to help cover Jamar Chase. Yeah, that was a, <clears throat> this is one thing that I, I like that they did. So you think about like last, last year, if you guys like have followed me and stuff, I've actually criticized the, the double bugs um, look on third downs, <clears throat> especially on third and longs, because they would always uh, have a plan to be able to attack that. So that looked like a simulated, double mugs look except for the fact that he actually went all in and so Vance Joseph would do uh one of two things he'd send both of them into underneath like hook zones like the hook curl area he sent one linebacker in and he'd pull the other one back to sit in that middle zone or he would send both of them most of the time he sent like he did he he very rarely sent both of them of course but like on that video right there you see everybody just goes for it right there and I love that because they pulled the stunt to be able to take essentially was what was a hat and a hat i think it was like five rushers versus five protectors you dropped um antonio hamilton who was lined up to the further side of the tackle dropped into coverage on tyler boyd boyd i think that's what his name um <clears throat> and then like just doing that and making sure that we have a person occupying the person when those two when the center and the guard take on kaiser white and uh, Dante Stills is able to loop around and stuff that just like you mentioned, it did, it it, it, it it was able to open up that gap, that A gap where he was just free to the quarterback. And like, I, I, I like this whole approach of like all in or all out instead of like halfway in or halfway out because <clears throat> of situations where if you send four and you drop everybody into coverage after putting them at the line of scrimmage, trying to scream like blitz zero or whatnot. And you do that, like you just send your four, they have max protection because the offense is saying to themselves, well, they're going to send everybody here. So let's bring the running back to like chip one of these, uh, you know, one of these defensive linemen or defensive ends or whoever's coming after us. Let's uh, keep a tight end to block. And then you have max protection, six people uh, defending uh, four, four guys. So the pressure won't get there. And then when they release, there's nobody there to be able to make the tackle on whoever released because they're too far out trying to cover the top side of the field. So I, I love that. Like um, I love that play call. And, um, I hope this is more of a learning lesson from watching what the defense did last year and what's going on right now with the with the with the Denver Broncos. And uh, I I I 100% think that um, as far as Nick Ross is concerned, he's getting the grasp of it. Um, we will see later on, of course. Uh, not everything's going to be perfect. There were some really bad, questionable calls, but I I I, I, I like the call. So uh, I mean, I got I got to say, big ups on uh, going all in on that. Yeah. What's nice, I think, at least that we've seen as far as being a little bit different from like you talked about with the Vance Joseph scheme, the way where the coverage was, a lot of times you would seemingly have a busted coverage or there'd be a tight end running almost between the two zones when they would drop people back into the hook zone. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that play where we got to see, they dropped back, but they were at a good enough depth for where the route was, as far as knowing that they like to run the routes at this distance or being able to have some of the spacing. Uh, and I think the other thing that stands out also is we've seen, like you talked about, with Vans, it would be press man cover zero, where it'd be just man across the board. You're bringing sometimes seven guys, and then you would usually back off a few to try to see if you could force turnovers. Of course, the Seattle 2020 game is one we always reference, where he brought a nickel pressure with Byron Murphy. Then on the next play, I think it was the next series, actually, uh, they end up faking like a similar type of pressure. Russ instead goes to hit the man out of the slot over the middle, which is what you do against cover zero. And Isaiah Simmons is waiting there to get the pick. There was a lot of times in 2019 where you would not be able to see those linebackers make those picks. Uh, I think think of times the Cardinals got dinked and dunked to death um, because they had to keep a lot of the safeties, unfortunately, way deeper because they didn't have Patrick Peterson and guys were getting pretty much roasted in coverage. This year, we I think at least for this game, we saw a lot less of kind of rushing four and maybe the other one comes from different places and dropping seven. We have seen that without Jonathan Ledbetter, they really have had a much harder time being able to get a pass rush from the defensive tackle side. Uh, on that play, it's Dante Stills and then all linebackers, essentially. you got Cameron Thomas is there. You've got, I think it's Zavin on the one side. He's the only, like, defensive lineman that's over there. you got two linebackers mugging the A-gaps. So that's probably your best pass rusher set. That's like having to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what, I think, as far <laughs> as the terminology would go. Uh, but ultimately, it did break down a whole lot, and I think that the biggest places that it did is if you think about the end of the half play uh, is the biggest one that I can think of. Um, Cardinals stopped the Bengals from scoring on fourth down. Uh, I was in the middle watching the game with my family, and they're like celebrating. I'm like, well, let's hold on just a second. We want to make sure they get out of the end zone first because I'd seen enough Cardinals football to be able to know that you got to get out of the end zone. They run a tush-push, it goes nowhere, it gets back to the line it was. Didn't take a safety, fortunately. So then you know that they're probably going to either have to draw up some sort of a run play that goes north and south again, or try to take a passing play. So they take a shot over the middle of the field. Uh, we'll see how it goes on the tape, but from what it sounded like without throwing them under the bus, it seems like Zach Pascal got in the way of where Hollywood Brown was supposed to catch the ball, may have been tipped. Uh, thinking that the route was intended for him when it was actually Hollywood. It goes right to the defender behind him. Uh, I think that we'll be able to look at the film and see out and some of that as well. But on one hand, you can say at least that you got to be able to run the right routes. And on the other, if you're going to be in those types of situations and you're throwing the ball fast like that, you've got to have a brief and accurate throw. And there were times I think that we saw in this game with Joshua Dobbs that it seemed like they were about to break out to Hollywood Brown. And then there was a couple of throws that were missed that seemed like that they just kind of disrupted the rhythm of the game. And I think it showed to a lot of fans that this team is still waiting for Kyler Murray to come back before they're going to be kind of a true look at what the Arizona Cardinals are going to look like and that Josh Dobbs is not one of those guys that you can just say, who needs Kyler? We got him. Just keep him going at least and make Kyler have to win the job. That's not something I think the Cardinals fans, um, for the most part, who other stuff have been feeling the past few weeks. And I don't think that anyone feels like that today. Yeah, just to clarify a little bit of the thing about Josh Dobbs, we, we knew that once we traded for him, it was just going to be a situation where uh, we were not really clear about what the intentions were. Obviously, the storylines when we traded for him was what we're, we were tanking because none of us were really like educated on how good he was or what his past was, except for the fact that he had been moving from team to team. 
So that's the reason why I thought to myself after that Washington game that Josh Dobbs was just being there to make the team worse because they do want to tank. And then I was very impressed with this second, third, and fourth game. And of course, we had this past game where like he had a three interception performance. I mean, it's going to be a case where he hits the floor. I get it. I, I get he's going to have his rough spots and he's going to have his uh, inaccuracies and whatnot. I never thought it was going to be a situation where he could win out the job. I'm I'm a Kyler critic, but even I know that like when Kyler Murray comes back, he he has a starting gig, and it's for more than just one reason. It's not to say that Josh Dobbs isn't good. He has the potential to be a good quarterback and a starting quarterback. It's just a situation where we need to see what we have in Kyler Murray because that's the big investment right there. We need to see, hey, is he going to adapt this system, and is he going to take us to where we think we 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 can make it when it comes to Kyler Murray and uh just some bad decisions and stuff like on his part as well like um i mean it, it, it it's 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 kind of daunting that we have like two pick sixes in our own end zone in the past two years it's just it, it, when i saw that intercepted interception i was like, oh no here we go after the defense made a stop that takes the that takes literally all the air out of your tires for the defense after they make a great stop on fourth down and uh, that could really send your uh, team into like a bad mindset and whatnot. I, I am going to say this about that, like the, the decision when it came to like, um, like, so that fourth down happened and then we get all the momentum and then the very next play, they give up that interception, which turns to be like a pick six. I didn't really feel like there was much of like urgency and aggression coming from our head coach about like, maybe like getting his team to get out of that slump because when that happens your team is going to think to themselves wow we did all that and then and then this is what the result was and after that we just didn't see any movement which is what led to josh dobbs showing his 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 where his talent ceiling is and whatnot and we just didn't believe i, I didn't believe we were going to win that game because i didn't see much from the offense Oh, you're on mute. Yeah, just fixing and getting some ready. The tough thing to know in some of these situations is that it is still a team sport and it's not just all based around the quarterback. But you're going to hear a lot of people afterwards simply just critique the quarterback for their play because that's really how a lot of people will just view it through that lens. Uh, the very first play that they ran when they did get the ball back, like we said, was trying to do that tush push. The fact that they got nowhere, I don't know <laughs> if that was something that made them think that they were spooked a bit, or if it was simply the Bengals saying, hey, you know what? You're backed up on the line. You're going to have to make a play to get out of here. And instead of it being one of those plays, like maybe you can talk about how they could have tried it for a longer outside type of a place where that way it's only your wide receiver who gets it or it goes out of bounds. Maybe you just want to talk about hit a quick slant. The guy's able to get about five yards. You're good to go. The cards, at least for one reason or another, had times where they ended up giving the game away. And I think that's something for the most part that... It's unfortunate when that happens, but it's also something that we probably should expect when we do end up seeing um, a team like the Arizona Cardinals that's having to not just build a foundation, but building and identifying who are foundational players and who are not. And one of the things I think that we wanted to find out about that for this year is going to be the likes of their cornerback group. Uh, we wanted to find out for sure what's going to be the case with guys like Mark Marco Wilson. Is Keetrell Clark someone who is a late round steal? Uh, I know that we can talk about as far as the 
nickel situation but uh one of the things i did want to at least mention on um, him was he did not start um it's very interesting at least to find out that Keicho clark he ended up um missing the first series came back in uh darren urban of uh, the cardinals speculated that it might be um potentially a punishment or disciplinary related for something that may have happened. And then post game, uh, looking at the other cornerback spot with Marco Wilson, uh, this was Jess Root uh, from Cards Wire, who was in the locker room afterwards. Marco Wilson with a bunch of reporters waiting to ask him about the game, ducked out, didn't turn around or say anything. And I think there can be times we can be too hard on players. It's an emotional game and it can be really difficult, especially if you're going to be someone who is, you know, feeling like you're at fault for those. It's almost then like having to kind of get punished a second time. It's like you got beat twice. But at the same time, it is part of what you're supposed to do as a player is go to the media, answer the questions. You can just throw out the player speak or coach speak that's there. I think this game had a lot of Cardinals fans coming out of it, looking at this team going, hey, we just need to kind of, you know, get a couple pieces in place with Kyler, you know, maybe get some pass rushers, be able to dress this up. And coming out of this, I think a lot of people start looking at that cornerback room and I saw someone say like just draft three corners in the first three rounds whatever you do <laughs> I feel like that's a bit of an overreaction but what do you feel like as far as with what we're seeing from Marco from Keytrail and Antonio Hamilton taking over for the injured Jalen Thompson it felt like that the secondary struggled not just because of the safeties that weren't playing in Buda and Jalen Maybe they cover a lot of mistakes, but it also just feels like that they do really need some help at that cornerback position. Um, and we saw that today with Jamar, we saw it yesterday with Jamar Chase. I mean, <laughs> it is Jamar Chase, of course, but yeah, he didn't have like just a regular like five for like 90 game. This was 13, no, 15 catches, right? It was 15 for 193. 18, I think, wasn't it? Uh, was it 18 <clears throat> or 15? I have to remember because it was just ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, it was, and we knew where it was going. That's the reason why he made that tweet. And it's funny because I saw that tweet and I thought yeah, to myself. For 192, oh. That's a record for Bengals. Record number of receptions. He set the record, I think, in the first half for number of receptions by a Bengals receiver in the first half as well. Uh, just ridiculous player, ultimately, that you can talk about and just was difficult. I thought he, he tweeted that 7-Eleven because I thought he was actually at a 7-Eleven. And then I thought to myself, <laughs> oh, I get it now. I was like, wow. <clears throat> but I mean, he was open all the time and it wasn't just our cornerbacks. It was our safeties that were just playing. Like it, it's not even like that. They're making <clears throat> limitation mistakes. They were making like mental errors, not, not knowing what the responsibilities were. This is the second time we've right. seen a, a corner drop off <clears throat> thinking that he, he has help over the top and he doesn't get it because why? Because we have these safeties coming down into the box when they're supposed to be looking for the dot, like the deep nine or like the post route or the go route. And they're supposed to give their cornerbacks like help. And then the corners backed up already because he lets his guy go thinking, Hey, I got the corner. I got the, like the, I, the safety's got him. I got the flat. That's just my responsibility. Oh no, never mind. The safeties came down for whatever reason. And now I have to chase after this ball, which I mean, at that point, these athletes are so crazy. You're, you're just not going to catch up, but that's going to be my issue with that. Um, I had a lot of high hopes for like Marco Wilson. Even I can say he's not playing to his fullest potential. I do see a pattern with him where he starts off bad and then he kind of picks it up towards the end. He has the most tools out of any quarterback that we have right now in our room. Even Keytrol, like who has the same type of speed as uh, Marco Wilson. I would say Marco Wilson still has like 
a higher ceiling when it comes to with that athleticism. Yeah. He just got to be right. able to get the technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he does have like the physical frame to be able to do what he, what we expect for him to do as a, like a cornerback who's well-built and has a quick first step and able to like jump like what, 46 inches from the ground and whatnot. So um, as, as for him ducking out, like, he knew that this wasn't a good game as well. We do know that our media can be a little bit fiery when it comes to like going after like uh you know our players and what and whatnot. But at the same time, yeah, that doesn't that's not a good look for him. That is not a good look for him. And uh, I mean, we have Garrett Williams who was I mean, he looked like the part when he when he was in a uh, practice and whatnot. At some point when he comes in, we're gonna see what we have with him, and that's gonna be Markle's lob. It's gonna be his job to lose. But my hope was that, like, that we're going to slide Keytrell to play the slot because mm-hmm. he he has shown a lot of film. Back when he was with, um, with uh, I forgot what the the Louisville. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, when he was with Louisville, he had a lot of success playing from that apex position. Um, he showed that he can read plays very well. And he even mentioned himself, which is what's true about the new NFL. The apex defender is one of the hardest responsibilities on the defense. Because you have to uh, defend two way goes, and you have to be part of the run fit, and you have to be able to replays, and you have to guard the flat if you get a push call from your uh, <clears throat> when you get a push call from your uh, from your linebacker, you have to be able to react right then and there to get the flat. So it's a hard responsibility. Let's like yeah. let's put him there. Come on, guys! Like l- let's try to put him there. Slide Jalen back to safety. We need that help. And Buda Baker, if he comes back, then. I think that's going to be a solid cornerback room. That's what we need. But if we don't get what we need, that needs to be a priority next year. Yeah, no kidding. The the biggest thing I think with the Jalen Thompson injury that we saw was that he had been your nickel. He had been the guy that had been essentially making those reads, being able to have um, Antonio Hamilton be essentially a backup. And then Keytrail, he gets his one responsibility. He just has to worry about the outside guy. He can play whether it's zone or man keeps it easier for him. Uh, Marco being able to be on the other side, if you need to have him betrayal or have someone man up on him, that's a job that you can have for him then at least at this stage. And then that allows one of your better playmakers into the nickel. We've seen that before with Tyron Matthew. I even think of uh, a little ways back when it was 2017, Matthew ended up actually moving away from some of that uh, nickel corner spot into more of a safety role. Buda Baker stepped into that role at the end of the year and started making plays. And that was the year where he made Pro Bowler for special teams, but you could see him about to take the leap in the following year. And we didn't really get to see that until 2019, just because of how the Steve Wilkes defense, unfortunately, was really, really lacking for having a lot of the talent that was needed to run what he was running. I do want to showcase at least one of the plays that was given up here that can kind of share as far as what happened with lacking Jalen Thompson. So you can see here, you've got kind of two wide receivers over here. You got two down at the side. You got the one running back that's over there in the backfield. Uh, the two linebackers are watching the quarterback's eyes. And this is essentially a big, long route that they have for Jamar Chase on a deep pass. You can at least see that this pulse should have been picked <laughs> off by uh, <clears throat> Hamilton. So they're basically are running a deep route, at least for the most part with Jamar. And you'll see how that pops up on the next play. Um, you can see at least here where uh, number 10 is like saying, hey, I got this guy covered. Hamilton ends up taking Tyler Boyd out of the slot at the sticks. 
ends up getting a pass breakup. It is one of those times where you're like, all right, that's a win for the Cardinals defense. Should have probably been an interception, unfortunately. Um, that's one of the cases, at least, where the throw was a bit inside. Boyd hasn't even fully turned around for the most part yet. Joe Burrow has to get it out quick. And it's one of those missed opportunities that ends up leading, unfortunately, to a big play in the game. Um, you're able to at least see on this play is the one over the middle that they're able to effectively get closer for a first down. Um, just one of those typical, you know, over the middle type of plays. Uh, where I want to be able to kind of take us to is looking at the, uh, I believe it's the long distance play, at least for the most part, where they take the big long shot. Uh, it was actually I think it was a different play from this one here, unless I'm mistaken. Hey, good play. Yeah, no, this is one that they had at least with being able to get the pressure on there. But at this point, the score is, let me uh, pause here real quick, at least while I get this pulled up on the screen. Uh, we're looking for that big Jamar Chase touchdown that he was able to launch. And at the end of the day, that was one of the biggest plays that was made in the game because the Cardinals come out of the half. They're at least able to get that stop. And then they're able to, unfortunately, kind of them, shoot themselves in the foot uh, with a busted coverage. And you see Jamar Chase go the distance for six. And it felt really much like that was the, you had a chance, you threw the ball back to them. And then the Bengals effectively just took over that part of the game. And that's unfortunate because I think there was a great opportunity for the Cardinals to be able to kind of come back in the game, go on a long offensive drive. And instead they were just looking far too far too much down to be able to actually see anything happen in the game to catch back up is how I felt. Yeah, lost opportunities. I mean, <clears throat> you had to make that interception. If it's within your hands, even your fingertips as a grasp, like that, that should be a pulled down, of course. I mean, it wasn't, you can't blame uh, Hamilton too much, but <clears throat> it was a really unfortunate circumstance. And when you give your when you give an offense like more opportunities and your defense isn't really stopping them on the ground where they're able to just like get a first down or just chip at you constantly. That's it. It's, it's one of those situations where you pretty much are like giving the game away on defense and you have to just come up on those, uh, on those turnovers whenever you get them, because we don't know how often we're going to get them as a defense, but when we do, that really helps out like turn the game and the momentum. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so we've got everything pulled up at least, ready to go for, let's take a look at, unfortunately, again, great play that we'll see here from the Bengals. So you'll be able to at least see it right now. You've got Jamar Chase by himself down below. You've got a ton <clears throat> of cushion being given to him by Marco Wilson. Like, this is, like, deep shot level cushion. You're able to see how there's no Jalen Thompson, so it's Andre Shasher, who at least is going to be the deep sure. safety. Uh, and then you're having Keith Trail up over on the one side. I think that may have been actually Hamilton following him. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Antonio's down over there. This is Hamilton. So ball gets snapped, and you can see that there's a run fake. And then Joe ends up just pulling the ball back. He gets that big, long toss, and you end up with him just kind of being able to run past the safety into the end zone. That was kind of the uh, game the play that blo broke the game open for the Bengals. You can see here at least you got Hamilton's in the man coverage. You've got four players there. Watch what happens with number 10. I believe this is Barnes. Uh, he ends up at least, when you can see how the run fake goes, watch how he hurries. So he sees that the ball isn't there. He sees Joe's got it. He just bails immediately to try to go back into coverage. And Joe is basically able to throw it just over the head. Now, one thing I think that you can see from this play is 
when you talk about who are the players in the frame, he's a guy that's in the frame who comes from like the Mike linebacker spot all the way to the deep. That just shows a lot of hustle that's able to get back there. Um, the player who is not back there, ultimately, if you look at the play, is going to be this guy here, Marco Wilson. Whatever the coverage was, whether he was having to cover either a side or something different as far as if it was just, you know, trying to run more of like a... From this, it looks almost like it's going to be a... Got at least a couple of guys dropping in here. You'd rushing <laughs> at least looks like four guys. He's right here reading the quarterback's eyes, and it looks like you should be able to once you see Joe Burrow take off and go that way. You've got a player right in front of here who's watching Joe. If Joe takes off or tries to be able to run for yardage, he's watching him. Um, you're good to go with Hamilton there because you pretty much got everything covered. Marco is here watching Chase run, and Chase has the inside corner. This is where you can see with the safety. He has an angle that he takes to the outside corner. And you can just see the speed is just a totally different level. This is part of not having a Buda Baker in there. Marco, at least, is just kind of hanging out there in no man's land, which is unique. Either that was what he was called or designed to do, which seems a little bit strange. Or I just wonder if it was a spot where he was on his side. Jamar took off to the inside. He's kind of staying, at least, in that lane. But... This did feel like it was a circumstance and whatever the play call was or whatever his assignment was supposed to be, um, he expected that he was going to have safety help over the top. The safety then ultimately gets B, and you can see at least the speed-wise, Jamar is just able to outrun him pretty quickly. That was one of the cases where we talk about mental errors or Emmys. That was one that he popped up because coaches will know, the players will know where they made those errors after the game. And this is one of the kind of textbook examples also of Joe Burrow having the arm strength back, going deep, having a solid running attack, where they're not, you know, bailing a bunch of guys back into here so that the safeties can continue to play back. They were able to effectively use that offense to stop the cards. Um, and I think this is also another play you can at least um, be able to see a good protection set from the Bengals. Uh, you can see once the ball gets snapped, at least, that they fake it, at least going to the running back. Everyone's kind of running to the right. Burrow is able to go back to the left. You can see how all the guys switch suddenly to head back. He's able to get enough of a pocket in front of him, and Chase already has his man beat. That is just one of those like classic Bengals-type approaches and part of why the run game is super important if you're an offense that's trying to throw the ball deep. Yeah, it was just I – think, I think it was – a it ultimately came down to miscommunication because <clears throat> it is interesting to see that play from the sideline angle and watching the distribution. Of course, you saw the motion. That means that uh, Antonio Hamilton was in man coverage. So you think to yourself, that signals man coverage. And um, <clears throat> the fact that he kind of lo was looking like he was watching the quarterback's eyes. So that indicates like a, uh, a zone principle. Basically, you, you don't watch the quarterback's eyes in zone coverage. You, I mean, in zone coverage, you don't watch the, the wide receiver. You watch the quarterback because you're trying to read his eyes. And in man coverage, you're reading the wide receiver. That's the indicator right there. And he was off. Well, he had outside leverage looking at the quarterback. And Jamar Chase releases. And so you think to yourself, well, what's going on here? Is this like a pattern match like scheme? Because if Antonio Hamilton was shading the slot and the slot, motion from the right side to the left side of the formation and he followed then there was definitely a breakdown i think this came down to a breakdown in play call i think it, i think it wasn't signaled to marco what his responsibility was this was probably a more of a man coverage call that he thought was zone so that's the reason why he was using the techniques as he did and then he passed on the wide receiver to a 
safety that I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to have to figure out how to get him back on the bench because I, I like, I, I, I get he probably, probably injuries and that's unfortunate because that's kind of where the Cardinals, that's where they are. They didn't have a safety who had the athleticism and that closing speed to catch up to Jamar Chase. And like you said, whether that's a mental error on Marco Wilson's fault or whether that was something that was from, from where he was shading, he was so far back that it really did feel like he was giving enough cushion or room that when the safety breaks inward, he should be following him. Like that's sometimes even a spot of if you're watching the quarterback's eyes for one reason or another, you should still be able to make sure that you're kind of keeping some of that leverage. Some of it, at least too, I feel like is when you watch that play, I don't know if you want to question a player's effort because it's like really tough to be able to have it there. But like I said, you're watching number 10 fly back there as fast as he can to try to stop that deep pass. Marco's off to the side. It just is one of those places where Cardinals traded up and were able to draft him at least a few years ago back in, it was 2021 and we're kind of heading into year four now and a lot of i think the potential what we'd hope that marco wilson could be we've seen seen a lot of times that he's been good as a cornerback too when he's having to kind of go up against jamar chase consistently when you've got injuries or lack of talent there it's just a spot at least where he's going to stick around a long time in the league but he's not going to be maybe an impact player that you're looking for and that ultimately is i think what the cardinals are lacking right now in a lot of ways is they're two impact players at safety. We're both out for this game, and Jamar Chase sure played like it. He got deep a lot in that second half after Jalen Thompson um, went out with an injury. Yeah, I think uh, I think Marco Wilson, I mean, like I'm looking at his grades right now, and uh, as of game five, he has like two positive grades here, and uh, the rest of them, the ones that aren't bad, it's not to say like they're in the 50s. They're in the 30s and the 20s. And I know that the end all be all is not PFF, but at the very least, they can tell you if you have a starter on there or if you have somebody that's ascending. So the 2022 grades that I'm looking at, same thing. You know, he has red, goes orange, yellow, and then it goes back down to green. So, like, it would be interesting to see those last couple of games and watch the film. Um, I think his pinnacle was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had a really, really awesome game. And I'm still trying to figure out if he's better as a man coverage, like corner where he's like up at the line of scrimmage in a press coverage type of a situation, or if he's just a better uh, zone defender being seven or eight yards off the line of scrimmage. And uh, that the reason why I can't say for sure is because I haven't seen enough snaps of how he, uh, he does. So one of the interesting games to watch is those last three games of the season and seeing where he found success. Obviously, Vance Joseph, we know that he keeps his corners off, off ball so maybe they, i mean they they have to figure out what this guy is actually really good at i mean jonathan gannon had his corners uh darius slay who was seen in more of a man coverage corner and james bradbury as a zone corner so he acquiesced to their strengths and that helped so the same thing has to happen here he's got to figure out what marco wilson's better at and just put him as that specialist and I just, I think some of it may also come down to like, maybe Marco Wilson just isn't going to be good in whatever role you kind of throw people into. And that's one of the cases I think of the previous regime. We've seen him be able to times get some great interceptions. The Saints game comes to mind with that flip into the end zone. Um, and I think that we've been able to see that he can a lot of times be able to make some pass breakups that are there. It's sometimes I think the type of player you can struggle with. Um, can be another case. And in the, this game, also the Cardinals, where they I think they struggled a little bit more than they did in the past, was we've seen the Cardinals previously when they've been trailing other teams. They do 
very well when they're able to run the ball in the fourth quarter and be able to open up play action like against the Cowboys. When they have to throw the ball a ton and get down, we've at least seen that they can put up points, but it's not really as consistently. Um, one of the things I think that we can talk about here is that fourth down play that the Cardinals had effectively gotten um, down within field goal range. The ball is, I believe, right at uh, fourth and I think it's fourth and one or so right from the uh, let me pull this one up here. Real quick here. This is right here at fourth and one. Cardinals are sitting pretty at the 16 yard line. You're down by only four points. So this is effectively you can kick a field goal, get within one. And then if you see the Bengals score, if you're able to drive down and go for two, you can still tie the game up. This is basically near the end of the third quarter. And one of the biggest plays of the game, I think that you can see here is the Cardinals decide to not go with a tush push. This is kind of the spread the defense out. <clears throat> and they go with a quarterback sprint right, essentially, where you've got your running back being kind of a lead blocker. You're trying to see if you can have two men here and then create some space for Dobbs to run through. Um, the play gets blown up pretty quickly from the start where the running back Di Mercado is not able to get as upfield as you would probably like. And like you can even see, he's probably reading this man to figure out, does he go with inside to take the mana or run around to the outside? Um, so whether it was someone who blew something here or whether it was just that the defense is able to kind of gamble and guess right, he at least gets the one spot open, but not the second. And Josh Dobbs is not able to get forward. Maybe it was a long fourth down, but in this case, normally we've seen the Cardinals in the past go with that quarterback sneak up the middle. Maybe there's too much hurt or some issues that may pop up with that. But when it, you have a gimme play like that and you recognize that there's a, not a lot of things that teams have been able to do to stop it, this just felt like a very strange, like one of the more questionable, if not the most questionable decision from Drew Petzing. And that's saying something because i thought he called a great game overall i think they could have probably involved hollywood a bit more but we had some fun plays to rondale Moore. michael wilson um, michael wilson didn't get involved very much uh, even on the last play i think he even motioned um that he was open for a point uh, if you look at down here you're gonna have uh, amari di mercado i think at least and then you're gonna have rondale and you've got michael wilson down there at the bottom of the screen they're both kind of motioning at least for what they're having at the same time. They're on the same page. And then you can see here that they basically run a crossing route. So they're looking at it, seeing a form of man coverage, it looks like, and they're seeing if they can run that crossing route um, to be able to get someone open. And it looks like, you know, Michael Wilson, there's a guy that's there in his face, but it does look like that there is an opportunity on third and seven to be able to uh, potentially pick this up. He does at least by running inward, pull with yeah. Ron Moore. the two guys come down. You know, that's one of those plays where sometimes you can be a defense and you'll be reading stuff wrong. So in this case, you can tell they're reading at least how the receivers react. This is definitely man coverage. The issue is that they're playing far enough off that once the two cross to be able to try to see if they can, you know, take two people to follow that way, they just immediately crash on the outside guy and more. So that was one of those plays where you can pick up a few yards and, you know, credit Rondale. He battles forward to be able to get as close as he can to the first down marker but like you said there's opportunities and plays that they could have involved michael wilson a bit more versus that one throw at the end of the game that he got and when you're going to be running a play like this it's nice to be able to see if there was some options but you got a guy that blitzed out of the backfield right into josh dobbs and that effectively for better or worse Bengals scored on the next drive and at that point uh it's just basically over for the Cardinals. They turned it over on downs. You also had, of course, a interception of Dobbs. And that was when the points party just started beginning for 
for the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's interesting. We'll see how much people will complain about this call versus taking the points. But what do you think? Do you think the Cardinals should have kicked the field goal? Do you think they should have done a different play? Or what are your thoughts at least about this being kind of a pivotal decision that the Cardinals OC might want back? Well, what I thought was, for one, I don't know if people notice this, but that spot was horrible. Like the from the play before, I thought it was going to be like fourth and inches. I didn't think it was going to be fourth and an entire yard. So that really frustrated me. But the mm-hmm. thing that I even thought was like after that, I was like, yeah, go for it. I think it is the right decision to try to, you know, you know, try to see if you can get either the the touchdown. Because when it comes to a field goal, you're still going to be down. That's fine. Yeah. But the analytics will say you have a better chance. The play call was horrendous. I, I, I right. when I saw, when I saw him splitting everybody to the left side of the field. First of all, you see DiMacardo, like he was looking like he was going to try to set the lead block on the edge. And then he comes back to take that blitzer. But if you right. go back to the, go back to the sideline view and, and just right. check out what, what kind of read these linebackers make. And it kind of right there, you can go ahead and pause it. See how that guy, the number 57 moved over, shaded more Shades to the left. That, that should indicate to you that you don't have the numbers game right there. You have the potential of two blockers leading you for four defenders on that side. So you have what your right tackle, which is Paris. You have Zach Ertz, I believe, and you have DiMacardo, who's supposed to take the edge. But obviously you had a four versus three situation. That should have been like either called off or should have been RPO. So the because yeah. I mean, the, the they're they're looking at least yeah. at that side it does feel like that's the spot normally i think what you should do in this situation would be and this may be a learning lesson either call timeout if you gotta go again or you may see hey he's shaded that far over to the side do a quick audible to say hey you know what we're gonna change this we're going up the middle imari you're gonna be a lead blocker up the middle now we're gonna run this thing forward away from where he is so this is one of the spots where you say hey Bengals made a great read and a great play maybe as far as time goes you didn't want to use a timeout or even read what happened that's something that i think ultimately at the end of the day you can say is i do think you put a little bit of fault on the play call as well because we've seen with the cardinals they've been a north south type of offense we've seen them be able to run the ball effectively now james connor is hurt he's not in there but at least in this type of situation we've been able to at least see that with josh jobs and his athleticism we've seen him be able to take off forward we've seen him be able to buy some time we really haven't seen him have that same type of east to west type of stretch running style though and like you said the play gets almost blown up immediately because he's not able to get the edge the i think it was the safety here at least fires so credit with the Bengals for having an awesome time being able to defend this because you know, when you're looking at this uh, just from the start, you feel like that they should have been able to at least get a one man on one man and then have Dobbs athleticism get just enough for a yard. Instead, they're immediately like going after the quarterback and he has to go around the long way and it's just enough time for the linebacker to catch up. Um, Credit that because that was a game right there. Crazy. Yeah, you see Paris like trying to take off to get the edge. So the play design was just straight up just to try to get the edge on that play. But the safety completely threw that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so can, Look at yeah, that. And it looks like because Amari looks like he was trying to read the one person there, but there were two people there. So again, like that is definitely like you said, you got two blockers on one, and it's the only thing that happened. Paris, of course, gets a little bit nicked up at the end of it. Uh, it shouldn't be any issue at least for next week's game. But yeah, like you said, it's it's one of those different places where the Cardinals, for one way or another, they're going to see this on film. Maybe it was a spot where they assumed that they were going to pitch it or hand off, or they'd seen this before, and 
Pratt, I believe, is just the guy who ends up having the safety fires. He's just able to read Josh Dobbs and force the turnover. Uh, I think that was one of the areas that we can probably talk a little bit about later uh, as far as in the week, as far as how the Cardinals could adjust, because they are going to get the Los Angeles Rams uh, on the road next week. Rams got back Cooper Cup. Uh, we'll have a little bit more as far as a game preview later this week. But I did want to bring up another question, at least. And this has been kind of seeing where the Cardinals are at. And that's Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, at least from what we can tell, is supposed to come back this season, supposed to be playing for the Cardinals. The question has always been when. And so I think the thing that we may get a bit more clarity on in the next few weeks would be if he's going to come back, it probably seems like it'd be likely in November. Uh, if the Cardinals are going to take him off of the pup list, there's a 21-day practice window where he would have to then be moved to the active roster. Otherwise, it goes to injured reserve. That's something I think that we'll, we've seen Kyler working his way back to the team that would put him to come back probably around week nine or week 10. And so then that brings up another question, which is, do we think that with Kyler Murray coming back, there's a bunch of different outcomes. He could play well, he could be an improvement. He could look like the same old Kyler. He could look like he's not able to move or run around as much as he used to. What do you think as far as for what Car, uh, Kyler's impact could be on this cards team and how big of an impact might that be um, especially because by week 10, we're looking at this upcoming schedule against two divisional opponents. It may end up being, at least from what we can see, a really difficult go of things for the Cardinals if they don't have James Conner, Jalen Thompson, uh, Buda Baker, if he's not going to be activated from IR, even though he's missing four games. This is just one of those places where it really feels like that you've taken a hit to your starters and there's not a lot of depth. So by the time Kyler comes back, you know, is this a two-win team, a three-win team, and how much of that will change when Kyler comes back? What What are some of your thoughts there? Well, as as I mentioned before, like, it's going to be uh, kind of like a culture shock to him to be able to, like, have to be under center more often in this type of scheme. Um, so he's got some things to get used to when it comes to, like, being able to uh, take on, like, the reads from under center and whatnot. And I actually have some plays from last year, and I don't have them right now, I don't have it right now, but I had some plays like that I had like looked at before when with him under center to try to get a grasp of what it was that he, he was either having to adjust to. And I think this was from the first play of this, this is the first time he went under center last year against the Chiefs. And uh, the basically he has to get used to like fake handing off the, you know, the ball to the running back and then rolling out and making sure he sets his feet. So one of the things that he needs to be coaching to doing is a lot when, with his footwork because being from the shotgun, your footwork is you, you know, the ball gets thrown to you, you sidestep, and then you're supposed to take like one or two steps back and then set your feet and then release the ball. That's when you hit it at its highest like efficiency and trajectory when it comes to speed and velocity. So doing that from under center is going to be different for him because of the way that he has to kind of operate his footwork to be able to hit like that, that third step or that fifth step when he turns around yeah. set his like, you know, plant off his back foot. And then of course do the whipping motion that everybody knows about, you know, like whip your, your, your hips around that way you can like, it, it can essentially, you know, help you throw that ball. And, uh, if if he's been working on that, then then kudos for the coaching staff. I, I think that would be the first thing I would do is give him reps in practice where he's turning around and setting his feet and throwing the ball. Because also when you're looking at it from under center and you're closer to the line of scrimmage, you have one read 
before you turn around. And we, we all know they like to shift their safeties to be in a cover three to a cover two or a cover one to a quarters coverage right before the line of scrimmage. This is when they try to take advantage, when they show that look and then the snap goes off and then one safety rolls down and the other one goes deep. So when you turn around, you're looking at something different. So for Kyler Murray, he's not used to that. Kyler Murray is used to seeing that develop when he hikes the ball because he's always looking at what the defense is doing. So he kind of has to trust the, the scheme and the development that somebody will be open because by the time he turns around and slits, uh, plants that back foot, he's already like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He needs to be able to like read right away and be able to throw that ball. So once like I said to everybody, like that's one of the adjustments that has to happen. So what is this coaching staff going to do about it? Are they just going to let him comfort into that little by little by yeah. basically giving them that, you know, shotgun look and then implementing more under center action right. little by little. I think that's the right thing to do because you don't want to do this too soon and have them be under center very often unless it's just to hand the ball off, but then you're, you become predictable and then have them take shots down the field from under center. And let's just say it doesn't, it, it, it just, it's hard for him to adjust to that. Then it could kind of negate like the confidence that, he, that he's going to have. So I think they should just need to ease him into it. I think if he's able to pick up that part of the game, we should be good. Yeah, that's the biggest thing to find out about because there is going to be, like you say, an adjustment period for Kyler Murray. I, he's not going to be someone who I think is going to simply just plug in and just be able to go without any practice. I think that you're going to end up seeing him have at least a few weeks of practice when he does come back uh, before he gets into a game. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I think it's also for him, you can at least say that, like you talked about, whether it's the footwork, whether it's under center, how much of the mental reps he's been doing in the off season will, I think, pan out. Because if he's a person who is not going to be the future, is not going to be like, you know, there's always questions about the work habits and all of that. You either are going to prove people right or you're going to prove people wrong based on how you've done through this offseason of being able to keep in touch. And we've seen an active and engaged Kyler who's been involved with the team, kind of almost like a new life that's been there. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen as far as how confident the team ends up being. Like, is it a spot where we're like, hey, we got a plan for Kyler? We'll see. He's going to come back and practice soon. He gets activated, but then you don't hear anything recent. And then at the end of the period, you're wondering, you know, is, is there going to be a chance he doesn't come off of the PUP list? Like what's what's going to happen or doesn't go to the active roster? Or is it a place where like Kyle is in there, you practice and everyone's like, oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to curb stomp them this week. I think that's going to be a big testament to how the team feels about Kyler. Um, especially moving forward. The Cardinals have a lot of draft picks. I don't know if they would even consider moving up for a quarterback, but you've seen enough from Josh Dobbs that if you felt like that you don't have the long-term answer in Kyler, you at least are in a spot where you could make a move. The fact that if the Cardinals would have that opportunity and choose to move forward with Kyler Murray should give a huge confidence boost, I think, to a lot of fans that he would be their franchise quarterback. And it was just a rough situation with Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime that he was drafted into. Yeah, especially with those. Uh, well, like like I said, I'm also a Cliff defender, and I'm sorry. Like, I do defend him a lot. I, I don't defend him as far as, like, him being a coach. I don't think he had the coaching. Like, like I don't think he had the, the ability to, like, uh, just be able to do some of the nuances of, like, when it comes to coaching. Um, I do believe that he should have at least at some point handed off, like, 
play calling, uh, not only because he we wanted him to concentrate more on the team and not so much have so much on his plate, but like he he essentially wanted to bring his guy to run his system to be able to say, look, if you want my system to succeed, Kyler Murray's the guy. And after watching the system for four years, obviously we know that when it comes to adaptability, if you don't adapt in the NFL, then you either adapt or you die. And that's exactly what happened with the scheme. So Kyler Murray, I think most of his hatred has actually been pushed more towards like uh, Steve Kime. Cliff Kingsbury was someone that he just butted heads with, but I don't think he has any like, I don't think overall, like his relationship with him was like completely tarnished, but it definitely was tarnished between him and the front office. Now him mending the fences and doing what he did, I I have to give him kudos. He, I want to see him like post those like videos of him, you know, getting better, working out, you know, reaching out and stuff. It was probably like a couple of weeks ago. Didn't he like send like a, a there was like a That's kid who, yeah, something about like the, the Jersey, um, some some kid lost his jersey or something like that. He said, send me your information. I'll send you a signed one. So he's making a kid's dream like happy. And I like that. So his public perception is so far becoming more positive. Obviously, it, it kind of sucks that it took, took this long for him to do that, especially when he's going into his big year uh, when it comes to his contract. But I mean, I got to give him props for at least doing it. Like, and I'm glad. I just want people to expect that He's not like gonna come back and just be like guns blazing. And if he does, that's best case scenario. And I'll, I'll be happy for us, and I'll, I'll be happy for like the Cardinals moving forward because that's that's what I want ultimately. But I'm also gonna give him a fair chance and tell him like, look, man, it's it's okay if you have to ease up into the system because you know that's people need to have fair expectations about him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, last topic that we'll have at least heading into it. A lot of people are looking at the tanking, tankathon, whatever you want to call it. There's some people who are fully on board with all of that. I feel like this coaching staff is not there. I think that we'll be able to see, depending on what goes on with Kyler, because again, you can never control where players are at with their health. And this is one of these new situations. Like, I think the worst thing that people don't want to see is an unprepared Kyler Murray has to come in and step in to try to lead the Cardinals back and isn't able to physically do so and things get worse. I think that people are recognizing that within the organization and are taking time, which is great, but it is gonna come at least potentially with a cost. And fortunately for the Cardinals, they at least have two top 10 draft picks. As of right now, the Houston Texans lose uh, last game. Uh, I do think that while they did get off to a decent start and their schedule's got some easiness that's in there, there are still enough issues with that roster that I feel like they're going to be probably a middling team. Um, I don't think that they're a playoff team. That would mean they don't pick any earlier than 20th. And enough of the other teams, such as the Titans, the Jaguars, um, the Colts will see about how their quarterback spot goes within their division. But it does feel like that it's going to be a very packed AFC now with the Bengals reemerging in the uh, conference. What is the biggest need for this Cardinals team? Like, Say the draft was today, Cardinals pick six, pick ninth. I know that one thing I had mentioned was the potential of, hey, do you need to try to trade up? Could you even trade up? Because this is considered to be an all-time great uh, for quarterback class in Marvin Harrison Jr. If you say you're picking at those spots, what are the biggest needs for the Cardinals that we've seen through the first five weeks of the season? DT and wide receiver. And actually, it kind of sucks, but I'm going to have to say cornerback as well. 
depending on what we see from Garrett Williams. But I do think that for the last four or five years, we've actually kind of been losing out of having that elusive, uh, you know, that that defensive tackle that can just like keep applying pressure over the middle or at least being able to hold his blocks to get those double teams to free up people. We haven't been able to get that type of person. Obviously, Jordan Davis was one of the guys that I really, really wanted as the Cardinal, but he evaded us. And Jalen Carter, for all the flack that he's getting, he's having himself an incredible season. So that's one. And, of course, number two is a wide receiver. Um, it's not so much of, like, us saying, like, wide receiver. Like, you know, Michael Floyd. I, I, I'm not Michael Floyd. Yeah, it is. No, it's not Michael Floyd. Sorry. I, just to see, it reminds me of Michael Floyd. Michael yeah, Wilson. Exactly. Sorry for saying Michael Floyd. Yeah, the, I'm sorry, Michael Wilson. You are not that guy. Um, but I, I do think he has a high ceiling, and I do think that he could eventually be a 1,000-yard receiver. So I, I really like what I see with him. But we also need to get the alpha, that, like, killer on the outside that can, like, that X receiver that you know he's just, like, a big play machine and stuff. Because every offense that generates, like, high points per game has a wide receiver or at least a tight end that can – you know, be a game breaker like yesterday when they broke us yesterday with Jamar Chase. I mean, he broke the game. So hey, you can say that that win was mostly attributed to like Jamar Chase is always being open for Joe Burrow and uh, having that type of weapon for Kyler Murray. As good as DeAndre Hopkins was for us, he wasn't always available. And it kind of gave like Kyler Murray a cheat code when it came when it comes to like, mm. you know, not developing his game fully but only developing certain parts of his game because he knew that like DeAndre Hopkins was just so talented, has the great hands that he could just throw it to him on the outside. And DeAndre Hopkins was going to be there to catch that seven mm-hmm. or that 10 yard gain and whatnot. Um, I think if we draft that big, big name receiver with Michael Wilson being on the opposite end and whatnot, I mean, that gives Kyler Murray big body receivers with good hands for ones that can you know, they they can be described as great route runners and not these consistent five foot ten speedsters that Steve Kime had obsessions with, thinking that in this modern era of cover two, that like the best way to go is like a five ten, five eleven, no, five ten, five nine, like like he runs four two or four three. Yeah, he's he'll be able to get over the top. Not when the safety is already sitting up there. And that's not what you need for your for your quarterback who needs that big wide receiver he could throw outside the numbers because he has the out the the arm talent to be able to do so so like it, it was unfortunate that he never got that and i think he really hated steve kind for going down that same well over and over and over again so i like i would put maybe wide receiver ahead of defensive tackle but we also are lacking in that position so it's that and it sucks because it's almost like just like saying like hey we need we need all positions we need we need defensive end too we need edge rush edge rusher so i i i would go with dt and wide receiver yeah no i think that's those are really good i agree with you i do think that like you said cornerback may be a bigger need they don't seem to have a playmaker at the cornerback spot, they don't seem to have a playmaker at the defensive tackle spot. Jonathan Ledbetter, I think, has been solid, but he's probably a guy that you would prefer to have as either a year-long starter or a guy that could back up your starter. That's just kind of been typically where he is. They don't seem to have, like, that explosive playmaker. Or, like, in your division with the Niners, Seahawks, and Rams run game, you're going to have to at least adjust somehow. And, of course, with Harrison Jr., I think it ultimately comes down to they're fine right now wide receiver for the year. 
But what I think you're looking at for the most part is unless they're going to extend Hollywood Brown with a long-term contract, and I think a lot of fans at least have seen that he's probably a guy who could be a wide receiver one, but he's on the lower end. And so if it comes to paying Hollywood $15, $17 million a year, if you can get it on a one-year deal to try to come back again versus trying to see about spending one of those top first-round picks in a good wide receiver draft, um, not even if it is Harrison Jr., like I think fans are going to be able to accept that because you can see the impact that a Jamar Chase had for the Bengals in this game. Uh, it effectively was two players between him and Burrow that was able to beat the Cardinals almost single-handedly, it felt like. Uh, or at least it did at times. So uh, those, I think, are the biggest areas of need. We'll see what goes on as far as with cornerback because, like, again, there's a lot of needs can change between now and the draft, uh, especially through free yep. agency. Uh, last parting thought as we have is, uh, are you concerned, Marcos, because Jonathan Gannon says that they are constantly talking about Kyler's status when he's ready to go. Jonathan Gannon said today he'll go. They just signed a running back or claimed running back, Tony Jones Jr., off uh, away from, I believe, the Saints practice squad. And Jalen Thompson, uh, Gannon said that he's still working through his hamstring injury, hamstring being soft tissue. And with Jim Connor having a knee injury, the question I think is, is there concern that we're going to have about this Cardinals team now? Because look, you've lost Kyler, you've got Buddha on IR, and you've gotten a bunch of defensive tackles have been hurt. Now this is hits to your running back room. You had Amari DiMercato got snaps. We don't know what's going on with Keontae Ingram. We don't know what's going on even with Jalen Thompson. We already have an injured safety. It just feels like the Cardinals are almost getting like worn down to the bone with all these injuries. Are you concerned if James Conner misses time that we're just going to see this Cardinals team regress a bit more than they already have been? Because that's that's my concern right now, just seeing those two guys in particular being hurt. Well, I'm just like, I don't understand what our athletic trainers are doing. Like so many bodies going down. Like I understand that like sometimes we get unlucky with our, with what we do and, but what's going on in practice and what's going on with these guys when it comes to like making sure that they stay healthy and stretch and drink water, stay hydrated, make sure that they're doing their elongated, like stretching before and after to make sure that you eliminate those soft tissue in injuries especially like jalen thompson pulling his hamstring he's not going to be 100 percent. so either you put him you you sit him down for a while and let him recover and heal or you just play him at a position where if he's playing in the slot where he has to push off of his back feet that's almost going to be impossible so that's my concern with that but when it comes to like what coach speak says and whatnot i'm as long as we have coaches under michael bidwell i think they're all just going to operate like they work for like the CIA or the FBI and whatnot. And I'm stealing that from like Walter Mitchell because he has been saying that as well. And it's true. Like, it's like, he doesn't want, he wants the least amount of information out there. Whereas like we, we are always left in the dark about what's really actually happening. Cause we don't know what's happening with Deontay Ingram. We don't know what's, what the future is going to hold with uh, any of these players. And we don't know when Kyler Murray is actually going to make his return or not. Um, if he's good to go, if he wants to come back or if he can come back, we don't even know any of that. So um, as far as like getting information from them, it's almost going to be damn near impossible. So whatever Coach Gannon says, I think you can kind of take it with a grain of salt. It could be that he's saying that and then next week Kyler Murray starts or Buda Baker's back like sooner than what he's saying or like Jalen Thompson never had a hamstring injury. They're just saying that so they can throw the team off, off like, you know, but I mean – like, like I, I just don't trust what they say. So 
I go by like what we see on Friday, who's going to, you know, start. Of course, we thought that Hollywood Brown was going to be out and he wasn't. So like my con- my concern with that is like out the window with them and what they say, because I can't trust them. But you're right. They're being worn down. And I have to ask what's going on here with that. Yeah, I know. And I think some of it is, like you said, sometimes it can be luck and misfortune. Like, you know, you can't really blame the guys when J.J. Watt had his injury. Even DeAndre Hopkins, they tried to play it careful with him. Part of it is the NFL. There are injuries that are going to happen. Running back is a super physical position. And I do think that a lot of it comes down to, like we talked about, the depth being an issue. When Buda Baker got hurt, I think the Cardinals, you can say, hey, they have Jalen Thompson can take on a lot of that role. They already had a good uh, safety Oh, they're able to um, bring in at least over from Philadelphia, who's got his first pick this week. So you're talking about <laughs> they at least are able to find depth. Then when you lose your second player, it's like that that was what happened, I think, with the you know, the 2018 Cardinals, even like the 2020 Cardinals, when you lost some of the more talented players and you got down to like the dregs of the roster, that's when your biggest weaknesses would start to get exposed. And that's where um as a team, you fundamentally are what your depth says you are even sometimes as much as your starters say you are. And that's where you have to be able to build a team. And I think the best example of this is you look at that 2014 Cardinals team, Carson Palmer tears an ACL, Cardinals don't care. Drew Stanton goes out there, is able to win a game, struggles against Seattle. Drew Stanton goes out, all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, you got Logan Thomas, who does not read the defenses. And we have Ryan Lindley, who is not a great quarterback. That's when you start seeing a lot of those issues. And so I would be kind of concerned because if you don't see Jalen Thompson play this week, you're playing the Rams with Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua have looked great. Uh, Cup in the past Nakua this year. I don't know if I would pick the Cardinals in that game with the pass rush being as it is. You would have to play like a crazy type of a game. So it just feels like it's one more of those, like when it rains, it pours type of situations for Arizona. You really can hope that they'll be able to figure out a way to manufacture a running game without James Conner, um, if that ends up being the case. Um, yeah, it's, it's I think, discouraging. It's more discouraging, I think, to see that as a Cardinals fan than the loss may be, in part because you want to see those players out on the field making plays. And when they're gone, you can see that guys are blowing coverages or you're having these fourth and one calls where you're trying to run it with your quarterback because you're not just going to hand it off to James Conner up the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, uh, it is what it is. And we just got to hang tough, actually just hang tough, hang in there guys. Um, it is going to be that case, but I think there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. At least we all, we all think we we're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Let's hope it's sooner than later. We'll see how later it gets with this Cardinals team. I'm Blake Murphy. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. That's Marcos Labrada at pancakes. Soul. make sure you don't forget that S we'll be back later this week. Should have some Cardinals focus as the Cardinals get ready for a road trip. Uh, at least have their one home game victory, which I'm super grateful for against the Cowboys. <laughs> Niners blew them out. Cardinals looked better than that Cowboys team did. Uh, For one way or another, you can at least say that this team, while they're not winning a lot of games right now, they're at least not quitting, and they're still putting up as much of a fight as they can. Uh, Thank you guys again. Make sure you're following us at Redbird Reboot. Uh, You can go and subscribe there on Google Podcast. I think Google Podcast is going away, so try Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Other places like Stitcher and iHeartRadio are all available for you there. And as always, you can check out our YouTube channel as well at Red Bird Reboot Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in and have a good one. That's our coverage. That's our review of the Bengals game. Cardinals lose. It's time for us to log off. See you guys.